This episode is brought to you with the support of one of our very favorite small family owned businesses, which is prettylittelightcandleco.com. Lauren started this business with her daughter as a homeschool project. So it started out as a project turned into a family business that was just like a small business um, selling to people local that turned into a larger family business and ministry. They really do put ministry first in everything they do and they make excellent candles. Rita and I are extremely picky about what we will have in our house, including the candles that we burn. And Lauren actually helped educate us on why these candles are good. These are safe burning fragrances, safer than using essential oils, phthalate free. These are the kind of candles that you can feel comfortable having in your home, giving as gifts to anyone in your life, whether it's your mother or mother-in-law, your friends, your sisters, anything like that. They also do fundraising opportunities. You know how kids can sell candy bars and stuff. Well, you can also do that with pretty little light candles. So you can contact them and look into that option if you have a school or a sports team or something like that. So prettylittelightcandleco.com, enter the code BOOMCLAP to save on your order. Welcome to the BOOMCLAP podcast. Today we are going to get back into AI a little bit by way of Elon Musk. I know that we talk about him sometimes and people probably think I have this weird obsession with Elon Musk because, uh, well, everybody else is all over the internet loving him. I'm kind of, you know, keeping him at arm's length. So Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit before we get into it. Actually, also, we're going to talk about the United States and the fact that they updated their uh, research and development for um, the National AI Program. And just the whole AI thing in general tied in with Elon Musk. Um, So anyway, before we get into that, I did, last week we talked about a little bit the green energy movement and climate agenda. I did go speak at our uh, county board meeting yesterday. I dreaded it. And guys, I I think this is something you need to know about me and Cecily and other people like us that kind of speak up about things. It's not like it's easy for us or like it just comes naturally to us. Um, I am, I told my husband when I got home, like, I just want everybody to like me. And it it doesn't feel very likable when you're going and speaking out against things, uh, publicly, but it went really well yesterday. I spoke up. Um, there was a public comment section. You're supposed to keep your comments like five minutes. I probably spoke for like six and my husband's like, Oh, six minutes. Like, like, um, anyway, I, I did speak up and it ended up being very good. Our state representative happened to be at that meeting. Um, and I talked to him for a while afterwards, Uh, a couple of the board members thanked me for coming. Um, and I felt like after I left, you know, nothing was probably going to come of it, but it was a good thing to do. And then afterwards, later that afternoon, one of the board members ended up texting me a little bit and we got some phone numbers going and potentially are going to get some actual, um, working pushback, you know, going forward. So anyways, this is just a little encouragement. I know this is specific to me and my community, but this is a little encouragement just to speak up locally about things going on because locally is where you can gain the most traction. And if everybody's speaking up locally, things change, you know, globally and, you know, nationally and things like that. So anyway, um, also before we get into it, so this morning uh, we had the breakfast of champions at my kids, uh, 4-H, I guess they're 4-H county banquet, I guess it was like a county banquet. They call it the breakfast of champions. And every year they have, uh, like an inspirational speaker come and talk to the kids at this breakfast. And I just found it interesting as I was listening, I was thinking about how we 
go to these things. And the speaker is always somebody who's done something really, really big and, Mm -hmm. you know, really interesting and they're interesting to listen to and they've had grand achievements or are in a, uh, a position of authority or something like that. And so it led to a really good conversation on the way home with my girls. This particular woman, she's an ER doctor in Indianapolis. And then she had climbed, it was seven summits, she said. So she's climbed seven, she's climbed 50 mountains, she said, upwards of 50 mountains. But she had climbed the seven highest mountains in in the world. And she was interesting to listen to. And a lot of people had questions for her afterwards. It was fascinating just hearing about her trips and what it took to do that. Um, but one child asked her the question, do your kids like um, climbing as well? And she said, well, I don't have children, you know? And she said, if I did have children, it might have changed whether I would have done this or not. And so it led to a conversation on the way home with my girls, one, about what is what does it look like to do something big or to have goals in your life? Because this is a conversation Um, that she used uh, her mountain climbing as a jumping off point to talk about goals and goal setting. And I said, you know, you don't have to do anything really big like that in your life to have done something great. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about that on the way home a little bit, just what it looks like to do something great and that little things can be great as well. And that people have to be doing regular things in their community and regular things like raising children in order for these great big things to happen as well. And I don't know. It was just a really good conversation. And I don't know, it was just some, something I've been thinking about lately on the impact of an ordinary life, you know? Yeah, no, it's so true. And we've had conversations like this before about how, you know, the names that go down in history are the ones that appeared to be the really big movers and shakers, but often the ones who raised those people aren't, yeah. aren't mentioned, right? And it's not to negate like the amazing things that this woman has done. She sounds like yeah. a really fascinating person with a lot of personal character and strength. Um, but it is really true that I, I liked the way you said it. I forget exactly what you said, but you don't need to do something really big in order to live in a short Yeah. I can't can't remember what you said, but it was, it's was good. And it's really true. And it's a really important message that we can teach our kids for sure. Yeah. Cause I think of the things that I've done that I appreciate most are really the most ordinary, you know, everyday things. Well, those are the moments. I'm noticing it with my kids already, you know, especially in this world where, um, everything that other people are, are, is doing, are doing, oh man, got that screwed up. I'm not sure. But everything that people are doing (laughs) is really visible, right? It's, it's, this is not a world where everyone's kind of living privately. Like you see a lot of the things that people are doing. And so I think kids can start to feel like, you know, life is boring if it's ordinary. Um, But really it's, it's setting them up for something bigger, right? We can't like forget the ordinary and think that it's not important. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to the girls on the way home also about a surgeon I worked with. She was in her surgical residency when I was working in the ICU and we were about the same age. And I had my oldest daughter at the time I was pregnant with my youngest. And then I ended up having my youngest throughout the course of her residency. And we kind of befriended each other a little bit as far as, um, she was kind of hard to get along with for a lot of people. And (laughs) I think being a woman and 
small in stature and things. She made up for some of that with uh, her gusto and the way she handled situations. Um, But anyway, we ended up kind of becoming friends and speaking together often. And I remember her telling me one time, you know, I'm never probably going to have a family. And I think that this was something that didn't ever bother her when she was younger, but bothered her a little more as she uh, aged. And she was late thirties when she ended up moving on and I've lost touch with her. But it was just interesting to me. And I talked to the girls about that as well. You know, there's nothing wrong with making those decisions, but I think often little girls are pushed to do these great big things when really having a family is also a great big thing. So, and I'm not taking away from people that don't at all, but I'm just saying this is something to think about because I think society is maybe swinging the pendulum back a little bit the other direction and reminding girls it's okay to be a mom. But when I, I was young, circles maybe, but not, yes. not everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But when I was young and when I was in college, it was definitely pushed upon us to go further, to get your master's, to get your doctorate, do all these things. But no one ever said, you know, it's okay if you want to be a mom or it's great to be a nurse because you can work three days a week and, you know, be with your family. You know, those weren't the things that were pushed. So I don't know. This is just something that was on my mind to talk about as we headed into the podcast today. Yeah. It's almost like redefining what success means, right? And it doesn't have to be one narrow thing. Okay. Sorry, my girls. Speaking of being a mom, my girls just came down here to let me know how little guy's doing. And I don't know. They're, they're kind of helping out with me while, so or with him while he's, well, I'm on the podcast. Can't even get that out. But, you know, <laughs> there's a lot going on over here, but it's all it's working true. out. My son walked in too, like two minutes ago. I'm like stumbling over my words because I'm looking over my shoulder to find out what he wants. Sometimes it's hard to speak. (laughs) Yeah, this is a little behind the scenes, guys. Like we are momming it while we're podcasting. We're doing doing both. And that was another part of our conversation today was my um, one of my daughters really wants to have a bakery. And she's like, well, I can have a bakery. And she also wants a whole lot of kids like the number changes a little bit regularly, but it's, it's a lot. It's a significant number of kids. She's like, I can have a bakery and be a mom. Like, yes, absolutely. Like you can be a mom and do other things. You don't Mm -hmm. have to just be a mom. And when I say just be a mom, I don't mean just as in, it's a very little thing to do. I mean, just as in the only thing, like you can do other things, but Mm -hmm. this is a, this is proof of it. We're podcasting and being moms. Well, and okay, I heard something a while back, like maybe a month ago, it wasn't too long ago. And I can't even remember where it was from. So I can't give credit where credit is due, but it was talking about the Proverbs 31 woman and how like a lot of women will read about all the stuff that the Proverbs 31 woman is doing and feel like really um, inadequate, you know, because she's got a family, she's got a business, she's doing all these things, she's getting up early. And this person had said, like, obviously not that's not necessarily exactly literal. Like that's not something that she's doing all in one day. Like Mm. this is over the span of her lifetime. And I think that's a really good clarification to make and important to remember, because if there's something that I've really learned over the last like two months in particular, Rita and I both have been extremely, we hate the word, but we've been extremely busy over the last couple months. Mm -hmm. And just to remind yourself, it's like, yeah, you don't have to do all of the things all at once. You know, you can have these dreams and do a lot of different things, but it doesn't have to be all at the same time. And that's especially important to remember when you do have young kids at home. Yeah. Yes. And on the opposite in the spectrum, I think that 
I don't know. I've seen so much about not being busy and about how to not be busy and you shouldn't live this busy life. And I'm like, well, sometimes it is just going to be busy. You it's, know? Just yeah. it's just naturally going to be busy. So mm-hmm. it's okay. Also, if you have seasons of busyness, right? So, yeah. all right. I think you protect their time to the point where it's like, they're not willing to go out of their home or serve anyone else in any capacity. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. You ready to get into Elon Musk a little bit? <laughs> Bring on the Elon. <laughs> All right. So here's where I'm at with this, just in general to start out. I think Elon Musk is just fine from some viewpoints. And other areas, I have a lot of problems with Elon Musk. But the main thing that I just want to point people to is the fact that it's interesting how celebrated he is right now because of Twitter files and all of the things he's putting out on Twitter and his um, witty tweets, you know, all of these things. But it's just like, that's one thing. Twitter is one thing. And then there's all these other layers to Elon Musk. There's Neuralink, there's Tesla, there's, I don't know, uh, the Amber Heard trial. Anybody remember that? And like his I don't remember many what children. Like, I don't know, he was with her or something. And I don't know if he has a kid with her. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't pay attention to that too much because that was way too pop culture for me. But Uh there was an Elon Musk tie-in with that. It's just interesting to me how many layers there are to him Mm -hmm. and how, like, the only one looked at is the one on Twitter, which is obviously the most visible to everyone. Mm -hmm. But so the other day... Uh, article popped up from Epic Times basically talking about Tesla and um, the fact that uh, some pop-up is coming up. Okay, I'm going to try to read some of this here. I got the pop-up away. But it's talking about Tesla is a new energy infrastructure company and how they got the bid from General Motors and Ford Motor Company. Um, They both announced that they're going to use Tesla supercharger network in North America starting next year. So, for the EVs coming out, all the um, the um, electric vehicles coming out, Tesla is putting in the charging stations. And then the article went on, which I'll get to some of this in a little bit, went on to describe how much money Elon Musk's company and Elon Musk stand to make off of these charging stations, which are subsidized by the taxpayers, you and me, and how much money actually is coming from the government. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy to me how celebrated he is for buying Twitter and, you know, quote, unlocking freedom of speech, even though he had a poll on whether um, Donald Trump should be reinstated. So freedom of speech, in my opinion, is never up for a vote. Either you believe in it or you don't. You don't say you believe in it and then put it up for a vote. And then he also never reinstated Alex Jones and a few other people. Like, mm-hmm. it still wasn't completely free. It was still like... I think I had posted at the time, is this freedom of speech or censorship Censorship light? And my mm-hmm. opinion, it was censorship light um, compared to what previously was happening on Twitter. But so who really bought Twitter? Like the, uh, the American people essentially bought Twitter through Elon Musk and Elon Musk owns Twitter, right? That, yeah. that, that's what I'm getting at here. <laughs> totally. And it's just wild to me that nobody's talking about that. Everybody's like, Yay, Elon Musk. And I'm like, yay, taxpayers for subsidizing Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just people just want to assign 
a high profile person to their side, right? Because as you were saying, people are like celebrating Elon Musk because of the Twitter thing. Whereas in my mind, I'm thinking on the other side of it, people hate Elon Musk because of the Twitter thing, right? It again, depends on what side you are because people are really polarized about him as a person in general, right? And so of course it's like conservatives because of, they like the Twitter thing or, you know, they consider it free speech, whereas you consider it free speech light, but they're like, okay, he's on our team. So they're willing to overlook some of his indiscretions just because of the fact that he's wealthy and high profile. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I, and I feel like more, I don't know. I feel like he is a, this is just me thinking out loud. I don't have nailed down thoughts about Elon Musk. I think he's a little bit um, hard to nail down, I guess. I feel like he's hard for me to tell exactly what I think about him, but I think that there's a lot of fishy stuff going on. And I think he's not exactly what people think he is. And uh, I don't know. It's just, I feel like he's good at playing both sides in knowing who he needs in his camp at the time. Yeah. You and I had had this conversation a while back and we kind of had differing perspectives on that. I think you definitely could be right about that. But I also have this feeling that he's been pretty honest and upfront with what he thinks about things and what he's doing. Um, but people are just b- believing what part of it they want to, which fits into their ideology. So I think you could definitely be right that he's good at playing people in each situation to get what he's wanting at the time. That could be it. But I also think I've seen from him parts of like, he's just literally saying what he's doing and thinking and people are putting their own spin on it based on what they want as well. And I think it's actually probably a little bit of both, you know, like yeah, he's that's what I was going to say. People are putting a spin, you know, like I agree with what you're saying. Like, I don't think he's hiding necessarily. Mm-hmm. anything. I think he does put things out there for people to see, but I think he's good at, I think there, I think you can be completely honest while also playing to a certain narrative, if that makes yeah. sense. He can read so, a room. He yeah, can read a room. For yeah. sure. For sure. Um, so let's, okay. The other thing we need to get into the Neuralink and then the, so three things here we're going to get into, but I want to read through the article about the EVs first. So his Neuralink also was FDA approved. So this all just came out within the last like three weeks or so. Um, Mm -hmm. his Neuralink was FDA approved to start testing on humans and his company won the bid for these charging stations. Big month for Elon. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to read through some of this articles. Basically, I already told you GM and Ford um, are mm-hmm. going to use the supercharger network. It says, it's a brilliant move by Tesla CEO Elon Musk. Locking up two of the biggest North American automakers effectively means Tesla's NACS technology has emerged as the ind- industry's new VHS standard, drawing parallels to the 1980s battle between VHS and Betamax for home video standard. I have no idea what Betamax is, so I guess that'll tell you something as far as what yeah. this could mean for the auto industry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it says, let's examine what this means for the EV landscape and Tesla. The deals give Tesla a stranglehold on EV charging infrastructure. Two dominoes have fallen and more automakers will now follow suit. The Biden administration on June 9th tried to throw a lifeline to other EV charging standard, the combined charging system, by touting building infrastructure with the flexibility for adding both CCS and NACS. I don't even know what those uh, acronyms are, but it's neither here nor there. Charging Uh, types. 
yeah, yeah, they're just charging types. Um, but make no mistake, it's only a matter of time till Tesla's NACS effectively locks up the entire North American charging infrastructure. Any company looking to invest millions in CCS technology would be wise to pause and reconsider. Does mm-hmm. this make Tesla an infrastructure player in addition to its merits as a leading EV maker? Absolutely. It says we have a real opportunity here to really drive this, drive this, haha, to be the <laughs> unified standard for North American or North America, which I think will enable more mass adoption. Uh, Musk said that Tesla's charging ne- network won't give preferential treatments to Tesla EV owners. Um, let's see. Not only would Tesla own the majority of these gas stations, quote unquote, because they're not gas stations. They're, yeah. they're charging EV, stations. Yes, they're charging yeah. stations. These gas stations of the future. But it would also have the ability to advertise and sell other products and services alongside these charging stations. Mm-hmm. Unlike gas stations where current vehicles can fill up within minutes, EVs mm-hmm. take much longer to charge. In this is what I find interesting. Yes. Businesses adjacent to EV chargers can engage EV owners more effectively in sales. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got to sit there for a really long time. It's not like you're just gassing up and going. So you're going to be buying and consuming likely. Oh, yeah. Like that's going to be mm-hmm. likely. It's like being stuck in an airport. You know, I was just thinking of airports. Yes. Yes. It's like being stuck in an airport. And the only thing you can buy is the $10 bag of chips because (laughs) they've got you. (laughs) Well, that, and also you've seen probably the charging stations at airports, right? Where people can plug in their cell phones. So there'll be like a large post somewhere with like eight chargers around it. And so people are hanging out right there because everyone's wanting to charge their phones. So what's ever near these charging stations in the airports is where you get the most business because people want to be able to like zip away from their phone, but be able to see it. And I'm just like picturing this now on a larger scale, like in actual neighborhoods and communities where if what they say is supposed to happen is going to happen as far as like the majority of vehicles being sold in the United States and Canada being electric vehicles Mm -hmm. within the next few years, it's actually going to change the way that our societies are structured as far as like where people are hanging out and why. And I don't know about you guys, but like where our kids play baseball, do music lessons and stuff like that. It's a half hour from where we live. So there's a lot of times where I'm stuck in that place for, you know, a few hours, like in between things, like there's not enough time to go home, but there's also time to kill what do you do when there's time to kill and you're stuck in a large town or a city? You spend money and it's unfortunate, but there's really almost nothing else to do, right? So it's yep. going to be very interesting. Yeah. It says also, to be clear, Tesla won't have a monopoly over the nation's charging network, but <laughs> they're going to own a, definitely own a large portion, essentially, and have a massive head start. Well, it's interesting they say they won't have a monopoly, but this article even warns investors, don't invest in the other technology because yes. Tesla is the, the winner already. So it's yeah. very interesting. They, yeah. they won't have a monopoly as in like no one else can do it, but they will essentially have But they'll still have, have to use Tesla's charging yeah, whatever the NACS or whatever it was called, they'll yeah. still have to use that, which is Tesla probably has a copyright or a trademark or whatever you want to yeah. say on that, and right? It, so they do have a monopoly. 
Yeah. And it says Tesla's Apple-like vertically integrated approach to its EV infrastructure and ownership experience grants it its distinct advantage. And so vertically integrated, if you don't know what that means, means essentially they have uh, they do it from start to finish. So they not only have the charging stations, they also have the cars. They are you know, you know start to finish do? in the process. <laughs> they're going to do what Apple does. And it's like, oh, you got a new phone. Now you need a new charger because we've changed the size of it by like a little bit. And like, mm-hmm. I wonder if they're going to start doing that sort of Apple model with cars. Like how annoying would that be? I don't even know well, if that's... I don't know if they can do that because if they have you know, General Motors and all of these different companies. I don't know. I I don't know how the charging station works. I don't know if there's different adapters for each different Mm -hmm. type of vehicle or if that's a universal thing. I don't know enough about the EV, you know, setup to know that, but it is interesting. So for Tesla, this provides a reoccurring and stable revenue windfall to cushion its car and battery manufacturing business. Not to mention upfront funding from the federal government, a.k.a. taxpayers. I really hate that, mm-hmm. you know, I really wish that the Epic Times is a pretty good, um, pretty good at being upfront and honest with the people. So I really wish the Epic Times, at least, if not others, would start saying taxpayers in parentheses or something yeah. beside federal or government. Taxpayer provided federal, federal funds. Yes, federal like funds. Yeah. yeah. So upfront funding from the federal government, us, which is investing billions in this space, the total addressable market for selling electricity to EV owners is massive and the industry is just getting started. Alex Potter, the Piper Sandler analyst who covers Tesla, wrote a note to clients that Tesla will stand to earn $3 billion in charging revenue from non-Tesla owners alone by 2030 and $5.4 billion by 2032. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did Twitter cost? Like $4 billion or something like that? Yeah, I, I don't forget. know. Just saying. Just saying. You know, like this is, this is what I'm saying. Like the government is mandating people switch to these vehicles. Even mm-hmm. if they're not mandating you switch to these vehicles, they are mm-hmm. going to offer subsidies to people to get the, the electric vehicles. They're mm-hmm. mandating, I think, two-thirds, isn't it two-thirds, that yeah. of American vehicles are supposed to be switched over by 2032. The new cars sold will be and I think Canada's electric. even sooner. Yeah. And so if the government's mandating these changes, there is a forced monopoly or a forced windfall, you know, yes. coming from the taxpayers. Well, and I'm really curious and maybe the information is out there somewhere. I just haven't personally seen it. I hope it's out there somewhere. But so this taxpayer funded money from the federal government is being funneled into this stuff. But I wonder how much of that money or if there's separate money being put into actually like shoring up the capability for us to sustain all this electricity. Like to me, that's where the focus should be going first. If if we're actually going to move in this direction, shouldn't we make sure that we can sustain that direction before moving in that direction? So I'm curious if any money is actually being spent there, because if we're, this could be the biggest blunder ever on billions of dollars. If we spend all these billions trying to move people to electric vehicles and then can't actually sustain that, which it sounds like it's not going to be possible to sustain it. Like if everyone switched to electric vehicles, it just wouldn't work. So 
if it if it's not corrected and we do move in that direction, it could be a waste of actual billions of dollars and the economy wouldn't be able to survive without electricity in the way that it does now. So like what would happen then? You know, like a well, massive depression? The biggest blunder would be to not understand this is by design, right? I um, guess. Yes. They, it's not a waste of billions of dollars if you're spending billions of dollars to forcibly mm-hmm. make this happen. Right. Because if you look at the 15 minute cities that they're wanting people to move yeah. to, you know, and the fact that um, if you look at the UN agendas, like UN Agenda 2030, all of these things, they're moving mm-hmm. people towards not being, I guess, moving away from fossil fuels and pushing the green agenda mm-hmm. as it is being pushed moves us towards a life of dependency mm-hmm. and a life of dependency and being less independent and less mobile and less able to, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't know, just move from place to place like we have been yeah. makes us more reliant on the government. I don't know. Well, I think this is all yeah. very much by design and it's just hard for, I think, a lot of people to wrap their head around the government even doing things like this. Yes. Well, the 15-minute cities is actually a good place to bridge into Neuralink because when it comes to Neuralink and that being approved for human trials, I mean, what Neuralink is going to accomplish, aside from what it could do medically for some diagnoses, what it's going to accomplish is that you can accomplish tasks with a thought. Like, in our mm-hmm. biodigital episode, we read a huge story from the Government of Canada website about basically a Neuralink chip. It didn't use that word, but it's a brain chip that you can just like order something by just thinking about it. And so when I think about these 15 minute cities, that's made possible by, you know, your brain just thinking something. And what does that result in? It results in people not actually using their hands and doing work. And to me, that is a very, um, not very pessimistic future to look forward to because what does anyone know if they spend, you know, all day staring at a screen or on a computer and doing stuff like that, you end up feeling kind of crappy, after a while, right? I don't know anyone that doesn't, even if you love computers, you just were not built to stay on them for hours or days at a time. And yes, with a brain chip, we may not actually be staring at them. However, our bodies are still not being forced to do anything. And because humans can tend to be lazy, even though we know it's bad for us, we're still going to do it, right? But I think there's so much value in working with your hands. And so I, I have a really probably controversial opinion on all sides that I personally believe that there's tons of land in our world that's not being utilized. And people would be a lot better off if they moved out of cities onto small plots of land and learn to grow their own food and learn to work hard with their hands and to provide for themselves and their community members instead of, you know, being gigantic farms that one person and one corporation is running, sending the food to all of these cities using all sorts of electricity and fossil fuels so that people can live their easy lives. And if we actually move forward with some of this AI tech and Neuralink, it's just going to make it easier for a large majority of the population to become completely docile 
which is going to lead to a depressed population, even more so than what we're already seeing, which is staggering. And uh, yeah, I mean, I know that people like us see that, but not everyone does. People look forward to anything that makes their lives, quote, easier without realizing that often by accepting something that's easier, you're also putting something else on you that's making you less healthy and less yeah. happy. Yeah. I When you started in with that, I was like, I think everybody would have to agree with that. I don't think it's an opinion. It's a fact. Really? But then, I think people but, love I mean, the city and just no, kind of No, like they do. You're right. But I was like, nobody can disagree with that because it obviously is a fact. But then I was thinking about a conversation Levi and I had the other day. He was talking about vehicles. And if you upgrade a vehicle, there's all this because his truck is, I don't know, I think we got it our second year of marriage maybe. So it's like 16, 15, 16 years old mm-hmm. at least. And he was like, you know, if I get something new, it's going to have all this tech on it, yep. like all this electric stuff. And it just fails and it's horrible. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about um, somebody else he knows that he's like, he loves that stuff. He's like, I just don't understand right. it. I hate yeah. all this stuff. And I was right. just like, really? I was like, I just can't imagine liking any of that stuff because it doesn't ever work out for more than a year. Like then you have to take it in and try to get it fixed. and Or you get something new, right? And people like that. They like that they get to get something new. And I think that, you know, (laughs) coming from where you and I come from, obviously we're from spending money enough to get new things all the time. (laughs) It's just it. It's something good that lasts. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's why people also like the idea of a circular economy where you don't own anything and yet yeah, you'll quote, still be happy, right? Because you get new all the time. It feels like you're getting new all the time, but you're not having to put out as much money for it. So yeah. for a lot of people, that sounds really, really good. Whereas I know deep inside my soul that going outside and working with your hands and like right now, for example, one of the reasons I've been so busy is because because we're on a farm. And while we don't farm to like sell anything, like we're growing our food, we're raising animals, there's weeds all over the place that we're trying to get under control. And it can feel overwhelming. But I, man, do I feel accomplished by the end of the day because I can see what I've done and my hands mm-hmm. are dirty and um, I can see my family's food like growing out of the ground and it's an amazing thing. And I feel like, you know, there's been like thousands and thousands of years where this is what people had to do. They had to be able to work with nature to stay alive. And now all of a sudden there's this fear of nature while mm-hmm. people are also embracing it because they're embracing it in a sense that they're like, Oh, we need to go green. Uh, cli- we got to watch out for climate change, but, but they're not living in it. From, that's right. They're not, it's not coming from an embracing of nature and living in it and working with it. It's coming from a fear of what nature can do to you. And, and that's the difference. It's like, if you learn to live with it and work with it, you will feel good. That's like what we were intended for. Okay. But we're, so we're just, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Cecily. I was just, I can't remember exactly what I was going to say, but we're basically trying to get away from nature while saying that it's what we, we love. Yeah. Sorry. I did not mean to interrupt you. I thought you were oh, done I, speaking, but cause you're picking up your drink. I think that's <laughs> <constantly laughs> picking up my drink. <laughs> um, Okay, we'll get into Neuralink in just a second. But off of what you said, it just reminded me. I know I told you this story, but I don't think I talked about it on the podcast. 
just the fact you'd mentioned, you know, people aren't living out in nature, but they're saying like going green and all of these mm-hmm. things. I was at a, I had got the girls little watches for their um, birthdays this year. They were like vintage watches I'd ordered on Etsy and they needed to be sized down. So we were in the quote city with Champagne. It's not a huge city, but it's mm-hmm. city enough that people really don't have to leave to get anything that they need. Mm -hmm. And we were at the jewelry store getting it sized down and it was like torrential downpour when we Mm -hmm. got out of the vehicle. And the women in there were like, oh, the rain. And the one woman was complaining about the rain. And I was like, oh man, I was like, I'm so happy about it because we've been in a drought. And Mm -hmm. she was like, oh, she's like, I didn't think of that about that. She's like, I just want it to be yeah, she was like, I just want it to be sunny and nice all the time. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, we need weather cycles and we need rain. <laughs> I was like, you know, farmers kind of appreciate that. And mm-hmm. it was just interesting to me because I don't know this person at all. And maybe they do not promote the climate agenda. But just mm-hmm. judging from some other things that I saw from mm-hmm. this group of women, I assume that they're probably, you know how like everybody tags on to like one um, line of agendas or mm-hmm a whole group of agendas, I should say. Right. Um, yeah. It's like all those other agendas were covered and the climate one is probably gotcha. one that they would subscribe to. Yeah. Anyway, it was just interesting to me. I'm like, okay, you look at a lot of the people in the city, they automatically flock to this climate agenda, but mm-hmm. they know nothing about the climate. And I was just kind of venting to Levi about that after I left there. I was like, this is really weird to me. You know, they don't want any rain. They don't want it to rain ever, but they care Mm -hmm. about the environment, but they know Mm -hmm. nothing about the environment and not even enough to know that we need rain to have water in our Mm -hmm. well. If you don't live in the city, you know, you need water in your well. And if, even if you live in the city, the water comes from somewhere, right? It's not your well, so you don't notice it, but you need water. Like the water doesn't just appear. There's such a, there's a disconnect. There's such a disconnect between humanity and nature right now. And, and it's something that people aren't recognizing. And I'm, I'm kind of really passionate about this and I don't want Mm -hmm. to sound judgmental because that's not it. I believe that we have been led to a point in society where people have the option of whether or not they want to, um, understand where their food comes from, understand where their water comes from, understand where their meat comes from. People don't have to anymore. They can just go to the store and get whatever they want and consume it and trash it and go get more. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where I don't want it to sound judgmental because that's not the heart behind it. But so many people will say, oh, I don't have any interest in like growing my food or doing this or doing that. And I get that because it is a lot of work. However, I don't think that it's healthy for humans to just say, no, I don't want to. I think people were better off when they didn't have the choice and they had to. They had to engage in um, growing their food or having a garden or just being out in nature. Like I think people were Mm -hmm. better off and I don't think that can be disputed. And so that's what I mean. Like, I don't want it to sound judgmental. It's because I want people to thrive and I want to see youth anxiety go down and I want to see people being happy and fulfilled. I believe a lot of that means you have to actually understand and live in nature. Absolutely. I agree with that. And like you said, I don't think that can be disputed. I don't think so. I don't think so, but... Yeah. All right, so... 
Uh, this article is from May 25th of this year. Elon Musk can now put his brain implants in humans. I just feel like that. This is from Business Insider. I just feel like that's such yeah. a, I mean, wow, that headline. I mean, headline, people. <laughs> 10 years ago, if somebody mm. told you that would be a headline, would you have believed it? No, I would think I'm watching like the Jetsons or something. Yeah, but the thing is, with all this, it's been underway for such a long yeah. time. Neuralink yeah. was founded in 2016. So mm -hmm. this has been underway for a long time. And I guess this is kind of a point to be made as well. All the time we talk about how you have to be on top of things before you're mm -hmm. hearing about them all the time in the media. If you're hearing yeah. about it all the time in the media, you're too late. And I don't mean too late in the sense mm -hmm. like you can't make a decision for yourself in your own life, but it's here. And mm -hmm. there's, yeah. That's actually so, what Andy Steiger said in our made euthanasia episode as well. He's yeah. like, you know, people think that this happened really quickly, but it was going on for years behind the scenes, but no one cared. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with COVID. Like that's what we talked about totally. all the time at the beginning. Like this stuff, people just like, oh my gosh, the government's bad. Yeah. For a very <laughs> long time. Like they've been doing really bad things for a very long time. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> says Elon Musk finally got approval from the Food and Drug Administration to start implanting his company's brain chips in humans, Neuralink announced Thursday. And again, this was from May 25th. So just a few weeks ago, Neuralink, which was founded in by Musk in 2016, said on Twitter it received FDA approval for um, launch of its first in-human clinical study. The company added recruitment is not open yet to participate in the clinical trial, but that they'd be sharing more information on that soon. In March, they were rejected by the FDA. Um, their request for approval was rejected because um, several concerns that it would um, potentially <laughs> migrate, like the chip wires could move around. Um, yeah. And that's, okay. that's no good. Like you don't want like wires migrating in your okay. brain to somewhere else <laughs> or, or yeah. that it could overheat. That was the other concern. That, that um, one was crazy to me because we've all seen like a car or something overheat, right? So I'm yeah. just picturing inside someone's head, this chip overheating. And I'm like, no, that's so bad. That would be so bad. I'm picturing the cartoons where like smoke comes out of somebody's ears. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it says so far Neuralink has only tested the brain chips on animals, including pigs and monkeys. Neuralink says its brain chips could allow people to complete tasks like Cecily was talking about by only using their minds and help treat medical conditions. So they always tag in the medical conditions because you win people over to the other part mm -hmm. by doing something good, right? Yeah. Doing something that nobody can disagree with being a mm -hmm. good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like I read a bit about that White House AI, I forget what they call mm -hmm. it exactly, yeah. but their plans for making sure National that- National Artificial Intelligence Research and Development Strategic Plan update. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a lot in there too about things that would be good about it. Like they, they said this as a good thing, automated diagnoses for when like doctors are having a hard time figuring something out. And I don't think that's a good thing. Like, you know, and, and there probably are some good things that a chip could do for certain types of diseases that we've talked about in other episodes, like dementia, Parkinson's. I don't know how exactly, but there probably are good things. Like a lot of tech has good to it. But when I think about an automatic diagnosis being given by a machine, I don't think that's a good idea. 
Well, I just mean, think about WebMD, right? Yeah. Well, just think, oh my gosh, I had a WebMD conversation this morning. I'll have to, maybe I'll <laughs> touch base on that. But um, people are, you know, think about the technology already that we have in the medical world. Um, mm-hmm. One of the nurse practitioners I worked with for a long time that I really respected had worked um, in the ER for a lot of years before becoming an MP and CV. And she, uh, would talk about all the time how people used to be able to just diagnose things. You know, you come into the ER and they'd be like, this is what you have. This is what we need to do. But now um, we need a test for everything. You'll have like five labs and a CT scan and an MRI to diagnose something that could have been diagnosed just on the visual and assessment um, basis years and years ago. And so with the technology component, not only... Like, I think at first technology is like, oh, this is helpful in confirming things, Mm -hmm. but eventually it becomes a relied upon, you know, uh, thing where people lose their skill. You know, it's good in that in-between phase where people are like, this is helpful. It's helping me confirm. It's helping me see something that I otherwise couldn't see. But then Mm -hmm. once it becomes relied upon, the person loses their ability to do you know, what they naturally could do before. Which when we think of in terms of medicine, that's really scary, but it's also just evidenced by everyday average people. Like when I think of myself, I used to do like deep thinking about things that I couldn't Google the answer to. And Mm -hmm. Google for me started out as like, oh, I think that this is right. And I would just like Google to make sure. And now it's turned into before I start deep thinking about it, I Google it to get the quick answer. So, I mean, this is happening at that most basic level. And so when we think of actually like physicians and stuff, losing the ability to like actually think through a diagnosis, that's, that's not a good thing. Yeah. I, you know, I was, I say to people on social media a lot, I don't want to be a crutch for you. Like I want you to be able to mm-hmm. think on your own, but I was thinking about it more the other day. And I think actually being a crutch is okay, right? Because you're using something to help you along a little bit. For a short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, but I think, yeah, I think what it's, what Google has become, like it, it was a crutch, like people use it, but now it's like a wheelchair. Like you've completely no, lost your It's legs. more like a ceiling lift. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> yeah. Like you yes. got the whole thing underneath you and it's just lifting you up. Because yeah. For those nurse or nurses, it's the Hoyer lift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So the strategic plan for AI there's, it's so long. It's very, very long guys. But the main things I wanted to pull out is, um, developing trust with AI. Um, it was talking about developing the science of human and AI teaming. And it talks about AI performing functions alongside the human performing functions when humans encounter uh, high cognitive overload and AI performing functions in lieu of a human. So that was interesting to me how they broke it down in different layers of functioning with AI. And then, then it moved on to talking about cultivating trust in human AI interactions. And mm-hmm. I found that interesting language because trust, you can trust things that are not human, right? Like yeah. you trust, like I trust my car is in mm-hmm. good enough condition to get me to and from the fair today. You know, yeah. I trust that my stove will turn on and I will be able to cook a meal, but I don't have 
trust in my interaction with my mm-hmm. stove or with my car, right? right? Yes. And so I find the interaction portion. It's a assign, function. Yeah, assigning trust in the interaction with something that is non-human. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, and actually in that section somewhere, this the main thing I pulled out of it is... You know, when it comes to technology or objects, we're trusting in their function, right? But it was talking in that section somewhere about they had to study the human AI interaction. And the part of it that was a mystery to them was the human interaction with the AI. Um, And they needed to do more studies on the human side of the human AI partnership, And I found that really interesting um, because obviously humans are complex. We are not just machines to perform a function, right? We can think rationally. We can think irrationally. um, And I think some AI is getting to the point where they can also, quote, think irrationally. In fact, I had to look up a word that was in that article I forget what it was already because it's not a word that you would hear every day. So Catholic or something. I had to look it up and it basically meant, you know, these AI could be programmed to function in a way that was not necessarily objective. And so establishing trust with a technology that doesn't just have a very predictable function, And where humans are actually considered the wild card that need to Mm -hmm. be studied. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting to me. Yeah, it is. It is. And even if the AI is predictable, Mm -hmm. it's predictable only by the design it's been given by the human. The data that it's allowed to uptake. Yeah, until it starts functioning on its own, right? Which they've shown that they're starting to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting to me. The other thing is the AI can be hacked, right? Which Mm -hmm. I guess is kind of debatable whether humans can be hacked or not. You know, Um, it it depends on the definition of the word, right? Because we can be be subject to the things that we're seeing and um, Mm -hmm. hearing and whether we're strong enough to, you know, rise above those things or not. But I was reading this tweet. This is from a while ago, but it said, just in Chinese state-sponsored hackers compromise critical U.S. cyber cyber infrastructure. And I just find it interesting when you're reading strategy four. Sorry, guys, I had to pick up the babe, so he's fussing a little bit. But um, they talk about ensuring the safety and security of AI systems. There's no way to ensure the safety and security of these systems. We're being hacked all the time. We're being, you know, mm-hmm. looked at by other countries all the time. So mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just no way to ensure that this is going to be what it's not a utopia. Nothing here ever is. And so yeah. with AI, it won't be as it won't be either. Well, and they talked a lot in that White House thing as well about global partnerships are going to be so important public-private partnerships are going to be so important. But when we think globally right now, it's it's really hard to have trust in other nations um, when it comes to AI. Because it's hard to have trust in other nations right now just when it comes to humanity. And now we're adding this whole other component that we're expected to trust as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know. I, I just think nothing about this is going to be good. But I mean, at the mm-hmm. same time, I understand you know, you can't, as a nation, if you're going mm-hmm. to maintain any kind of, you know, 
I don't know, if we're going to maintain our nation and we're going to try to maintain a secure nation, that's debatable, whatever, you know, you can't not have something in place with AI right. because other countries are going yeah. to do it. You know, you kind of have True. to stay with the times, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but I don't think anything about this is going to be good. Well, and, and it's true as far as staying with the times. Okay. But let's, let's, let's uh, do an illustration for that. For example, nuclear programs, right? U S government, other governments, they have a nuclear program, but it's not something that's in the daily life of every single American. Right. 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 (laughs) Whereas AI, yes, it's important for like national security and military. Absolutely. But it's also going to be in the hands of everyday Americans. And Canadians and affecting the way they live their daily life. Right. Which, and not in a small way, right? Like, so with the nuclear program, for example, thinking to the Cold War, for example, it lived in people's minds that there was this potential for war mm-hmm. and danger, right? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to AI and Neuralink, there's something going to be physically living inside the brains um, of people that's affecting the way they live their lives, the work that they do, the decisions that they make. Um, it's, it's majorly consequential. So there's things, yes, that the government has to do in order to maintain a nation and national security, but it doesn't, it shouldn't be necessarily something that the everyday population uses. Right. But the government also, if we're talking about living in a free country where you have freedom mm-hmm. to choose. I mean, True. a nuclear, yeah. you know, there, there's nothing that can potentially benefit or, you know, there, there's no way for the average person to obtain and have like mm-hmm. a nuclear, you know, you know what I mean? It's a totally yeah, different totally. scale and usability yeah. and all of that stuff. But it is, you know, um, people should have the freedom to choose, I guess, with AI, if it's going to be made available, yeah. um, the government shouldn't keep that from people, I don't think, but we need to as people, yes, as That's people, it, right? yes, as people with that, a certain set of values, we should mm-hmm. be looking at this. And, well, and, also, <laughs> oh, sorry, and also talking about it, right? Because yes, we have a certain set of values yeah. and the people listening to this will have a certain set of values, but don't be afraid to talk about this stuff with people in your life next to you at a baseball game like, and while you're waiting for the game to start or, you know, like in everyday conversation, it doesn't have to be like conversation where you're forcing it on people. But stuff like this comes up, right? And don't be afraid to actually say what you know and say what you believe. Because in my life all the time, there's conversations that come up about random stuff going on in the news and in the government and this and that. So don't just like let them state their opinions and then keep quiet on your own. Like you can say these things because how else are they going to know what you know unless someone's willing to share that with them? Yeah, absolutely have the conversations. That's the best thing to do. And rounding this out, bringing it back to Elon Musk, you know, we do have a certain set of values as Christians. And so um, I just want to make sure people are thinking about who they're putting their trust in, what they're putting their trust in, because yes, you can say you like the fact that Elon Musk owns Twitter. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't hold him up as high as you should be holding, you know, your faith and your Christian values, because I think that that's kind of where the um, waters are getting muddied a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks for being with us today, guys, listening to this episode. As always, check us out at theboomclapcommunity.com or on Instagram at boomclappodcast. But today I would love to ask that if you guys haven't done so yet, 
please go ahead and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe. Those are the kinds of things that really help us reach new ears, which would be so very appreciated. You can also find Rita and I individually outside the podcast. I'm on Instagram at cecily.dickey and my website, thegracetogrow.com. Although there's nothing new on there and I don't know if there ever will be. (laughs) You can find me, Rita, at ritarogersco.com or ritarogersco on Instagram. Thanks for listening.